0: assalamu alaikum welcome to another episode of wealthy muslim woman podcast i am sorry i've been mia and i keep saying i'm gonna try to be more regular with the podcast and things just keep coming up these are the perks of being a mom to three little babies but inshallah i do plan on being more regular with the podcast what i'm thinking is i'll keep the episodes short so there'll be five to ten minutes of episode but very very high yield and so you'll get the information that's really needed and at the same time psychologically it'll help me to just move on and start publishing again today's episode is very special so it's on estate planning and i sat down with mahasiam she is an attorney in new jersey and she helps people set up their helps people set up their wills and estate planning for them and this is a really really crucial subject it is something that is required in Islam and not only that there are so many things in this in the country that we live in that if you don't have a good plan set up for when something happens to you you could really deprive the people that you love and you may be leaving behind from really getting the resources that they'll need to survive so for example if you don't have a good plan sometimes what ends up happening is things have to go through a probate especially when you have minor kids involved and other things and this is where things go through the court and you may end up losing money to accountants lawyers multiple other people who are going to get involved so this is your heart and money that could be lost Another thing to really keep in mind is that in some states, all your money could go to your surviving spouse and what could happen with that is, you know, let's say they get married and now that assets become joint marital assets and if something happens to your spouse, God forbid, all that money could end up going to their other spouse. So instead of having to go through your kids or your relatives or however you would want to have your money be seen. So it's really important to set up some sort of a trust if you have minor kids. And so that you can assure that your money is going in to the people that you really love and care about. And it was really amazing speaking with Maha and she helps uh, everybody set up these wills and estate planning and she can be reached at cm law center at gmail.com that's s-i-y-a-m law center at gmail.com and she's also on instagram instagram.com slash at cm law center s-i-y-a-m law center so do reach out to her if you still have your wills and estate planning that need to get done And we talked about how this is actually a requirement before you decide to go to Hajj. And with things opening up with Umrah, this is all very important. Things opening up due to COVID with Hajj and Umrah and everything. So it's really important to get all this stuff done. And I'm very excited that she will be teaching a course inside of Wealthy Muslim Women and i will be releasing the course at a regular pace now and really the goal of the course is really help you create and leave a legacy behind through money by you know earning money and then really growing your money and investing it and really leaving a lot of money for sadhika jaria and other things okay so i hope you really enjoy this podcast and let us know if you have any questions Sound like a Thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast. You have no idea how much I've been looking forward to talk to attorney about estate planning and what it all means. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. (laughs) So first we'll start with, tell us a little bit about yourself. What do you do? Where do you live? Anything?
1: I am. So my name is Mahasiam and I live in New Jersey. I have two kids under the age of three, but I'm surviving and I'm an attorney. I graduated from Rutgers Law School, and I worked in human rights in Palestine, actually, and then I met my husband there, and then we came back here to have our kids, and now I'm working from home and hoping to help Muslim families get their state planning done to protect themselves and their kids. That sounds amazing. When were you in Palestine? I was in Palestine. So after law school, I worked here, but I didn't really enjoy the work, and so I just decided, let me just move. To Palestine and work in human rights there in Hamdul. I found a good opportunity, and I worked for a good European organization. And then when I met my husband, got pregnant, came married, came back here to have the kids. So, wow! Yeah. So it's right after law school and right before
0: this. Yeah, that's amazing. And what made you choose estate planning? I know there's a lot of different law options just like when somebody goes to medical school there's like 10 different specialties or more they can pick. So same in law, what made you decide towards the state planning? So the good thing
1: about law is you don't you don't have to like quote unquote study the specific thing that you want to do. So when I went to Palestine for human rights, I mean I did human rights clinic in law school, but when you show up you could just start working you get experience you keep moving. So when I came back here obviously there's not really much of a human rights market too much and I wanted something that I can do from home. So when I started talking to, you know, Muslim friends and family, I realized nobody had a will. Nobody had anything done. And I was like, you know what? This is a good fit for my like work from home life because I could just get it done for people. It's really easy to do online and then just meet them in person and be on all the paperwork side. So that's how it really started to get into this kind of space. Wow. And what is estate planning? So, So estate planning is... It's a very fancy term, but all it means is you're going to sort out your affairs legally. So in terms of assets that you own, whether it's your house or your car, or even like the little knickknacks in your house that are special, that's one part of estate planning. Another part of estate planning is the planning of maybe power of attorney or your medical directive. So that's like, God forbid you get into a coma, who do you give the right to to make those kinds of decisions? So it's really a complete package that covers things that can happen while you're alive, but maybe you can't—you don't have the capacity, Mm -hmm. like mentally, to do something—and it divides up your assets after you're done.
0: Okay. Is asset protection also part of this, or that's separate? It is. So it depends on the
1: client. So if somebody owns millions and millions of dollars, they really, really need a good estate plan to protect them tax-wise, to protect them from going through. There's a lot of inheritance taxes and things like that. It's like a really complex system. But if you have a simpler life, you can maybe need a simpler plan, like a will and like just a few little things. So it depends on the person and what's going on with them. And it depends on the state that you live in. Every single state has its own process and its own way of doing things. So I know Mm -hmm. California has an extremely difficult process. So they really, really need good estate plans out there. New Jersey is actually one of the better ones, it's very straightforward. If you have your will and everything is like legally uh, binding, they get you in and out of the process very quickly. So it depends on where you live too.
0: How can this help you create your future vision and really leave a legacy?
1: So the way I think of estate planning, estate planning on its own, it feels very like technical and calculated. So the way I see it is instead of thinking about it just as an estate plan, to think about it as your legacy. So like, what's your legacy? What do you want to be remembered for? What do you want to leave behind? So as Muslims, we're actually required to have a will at minimum. And a will is part of your estate plan. So for for every single Muslim, we're supposed to have our will. It's mentioned in the Quran, and it's mentioned, the Prophet told us that we shouldn't sleep two nights in a row without having a will. So people hear that and they're like, oh my God, I had no idea it was required. But then they sort of hesitate to even do it even though they find out it's required they still kind of are like i'll get it done eventually and the reason you really need to get it done is the the reason for the islamic perspective and the legal perspective are actually the same it's to protect your family to protect your kids to protect your assets because without a will what's going to happen to your stuff the every state has what it thinks is a fair distribution but you might not even agree with what the state has to to do so for example in new jersey if you pass away and you have a spouse the spouse gets everything so your kids don't get anything your parents don't get anything if you wanted to give to charity that doesn't happen so if you want to do something you have to write it out now if you want to talk about the islamic perspective we do have a lot of inheritance laws in al nisa if you when you're reading the quran you see all these fractions and it like confuses most of us. So the way, the super general way is, the idea is that when you pass away, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala owns everything. I mean, he owns everything when you're alive and when you're dead. But when you're dead and you're not part of this world, it becomes his decision and his directive to tell you what to do with yourself. So when you do a will, if you want to do the Islamic option, which you're allowed in New Jersey, in the United States, you can do whatever you want. So you can designate in your will, I want my assets to be divided Islamically. So the super general picture is um, one third of your property, you can do whatever you want with. You can say, I want to give it to this mosque, or to the school, or to my best friend, whatever you want. And then there's two thirds that follow all of these fractions in sort al-Nisa. And the way it works is um, it's designed to protect everybody in your family. It's designed to protect your parents by leaving them something, your children, your husband. Um, and anybody else that's in your circle. So that's what's beautiful about it is that it really keeps everyone in mind. And that's why we have to think about these things and we have to plan for them. It's really because it's out of love for your family and for
0: your kids. Yeah. So one of the questions that I get based on Islamic um, share split is uh, wife has a lesser share than mother
1: Mm -hmm. and a
0: lot of women ask me, well, I'm the one who's going to be left with raising the kids and old expenses and dealing with the day to day afterwards. So why is. a mom entitled more than I am.
1: So, the way it works is, and a lot of people think in general women get less than men in Islamic inheritance laws, which is not true. <laughs> women actually inherit more than men in 16 situations. They inherit the same as men, I want to say in 10. I don't, don't bind me to these numbers. I'm not good with numbers, That's but okay. there's definitely. I think there's only four times that women inherit less than men, so that's the first point. I want to just dispel that myth out there because everybody loves to say women get less than men, and we really don't. It's literally, I think, only four situations where we get less than men, and there's literally more than 10 or more different situations that women get equal or more to men. More than 10 situations, so that's that for them. For why the mom gets more than the wife when the husband passes away, the children get something too. So when the wife mm-hmm. gets her cut, her kids also each got a cut. So when you add up her cut with her kids' cuts, as a family unit, they got a lot more. And that, the amount for the mom is, the idea, the way we see it Islamically is the mom's an old lady, she can't work, typically, right? We're just looking at an average situation. So typically, her son is supposed to take care of her, like in in our Mm -hmm. tradition. So if her son passed away, she has to get a lump that will hopefully sustain her till her death. The wife is not obligated to give her mother-in-law nothing. She could literally live the rest of her life with her kids. They're not obligated to technically give her anything. if they give her something, it's charity. So the way it's designed is if the wife is hopefully younger, because the idea is if the mom's alive, right?
0: Right. So if the mom is
1: alive, we're assuming the wife is younger, the wife can work and she can supplement herself and her kids. And she's also getting control of her kid's cut when you think about it, because they're living with her. But if the mom is dead, then the wife would get a bigger chunk, because there is no mother-in-law in in the picture. So she would get that.
0: Right. and her kids would get more
1: yeah so that's how it's designed
0: yeah and, and a lot of things will vary from I guess one family to another where the mother has multiple sons yes. too and if the wife has brothers and yes. father as well then she will probably inheriting from other exactly. her family as well
1: and the wife so, does leave for her parents
0: right like when the wife yeah. if the wife passes
1: away before her parents right. and she has money she actually does leave her mom and dad right something too yeah so it's designed yeah. as a much bigger picture and yeah. I think as Muslims in the West we've been conditioned to look at the family as extremely nuclear and extremely small like in in America the family is your husband your kids stop that's it and in our Islamic tradition that's absolutely not the
0: picture your parents
1: are part of your family his parents are part of your family his siblings your siblings
0: yeah all of these Uh, other people yeah so it would be a lot more complicated picture to look at not just one small detail exactly yeah we'll talk a little bit more about inheritance for minor kids and how to protect that but first I know you wanted to talk about legacy planning which has four different components and
1: yeah so I thought of like when I think of this stuff I think of it as like we said before like what is your legacy what do you want to leave behind so the first component is wealth planning so obviously that's what you teach and that's why people need to learn it because you need to know how to grow your wealth and it's not a look down upon in Islam to have wealth. You know, a lot of the biggest sahaba were extremely wealthy and they used that money for good. So the idea in Islam is you can gain as much wealth as you want. If you're using it in the right way, more power to you. It's just a matter of like, don't hoard it and then say, oh, but see rich people, you, shouldn't, you don't want to be rich, it's haram. Like, no, not at all. Like, wealth is looked positively on in, in Islam. So make sure to figure out what kind of wealth do you want to build. Everybody's different. Your metric for success is not someone else's metric for success. Somebody maybe wants a jet. Somebody maybe is just happy to have a mortgage-free home. Somebody might be happy to be able to give scholarships to kids in need. So figure out your vision for how much money you're going to need to meet that vision and keep learning. And that's where, you know, courses like yours come in where people are learning how to do that. The second part is the estate planning, which we talked about. It's to protect all of your property after you pass and how should it be distributed? The third part is your afterlife or Akhira planning. So that's when you're thinking about, what am I doing in this life to plan for my hereafter? And that ties into estate planning, because if you want to give a continuous charity, if you want to give part of your wealth away in charity, you have to put that as part of your will. So they really do complement each other. Heart planning is what I like to call it, is what you leave, how you communicate with your loved ones that you love them, and what advice do you give to them? So you can leave a letter to your family and include it in your will. So when they actually access your will, they find this letter and they read it. You can leave little videos these days, so you can like leave specific messages. So all of these heartfelt things help them move on, help them grieve. because as much as we wanna pretend no one's ever gonna die, like it's gonna happen. So we might as well at least prepare not only ourselves in planning for our hereafter and and in this life, what we wanna leave behind, but also help our family grieve a little bit less. And part of heart planning is giving specific items to people that you love. So, for example, in my house, my husband's grandfather's hatta, we call it, keffiyeh, the Palestinian mm-hmm. scarf. So my son is named after that, his great-grandfather, that person. So I want to leave him that scarf mm-hmm. that's from his great-grandfather. Yeah. So if I don't put that in my husband's will, that this scarf is going to go to our son, it's probably going to end up in like storage somewhere or they're going to give it away to donate it you know what I mean so even those tiny little items you can put in your will this document it's called a special request form and it will give specific items in your house to somebody that you love that you know would connect to that item and that's part of your estate plan and it's part of your heart you know plan for your family and it keeps everybody connected it keeps everybody feeling seen and loved by you even when you're not around
0: yeah yeah and and for me, this podcast is part of my planning. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, you know, hopefully one day when I'm gone, my kids can listen to it and, and you know, it'll be there always. Yes, you can write yeah. a
1: book like your workbooks. Yeah. You can write a, a novel. You can yeah. write a self-improvement book, any kind Anything. of something. You can leave a podcast that they can listen to. And even not just your kids, your podcast stays up. Any human that listens to right. your podcast benefits from it. That's also part of your actual planning because yeah. if you're directing people, in a way that brings them goodness and brings them prosperity in a in a halal Islamic way. Yeah. You're also it's like a continuous charity. It's yeah. it's knowledge that people are benefiting from, yeah. which is one type <laughs> of a continuous charity too. Right. Yeah. So all of these things, if you, when you think about them and you like have a vision of it, you start to make better decisions in your day to day life because you're thinking yeah. like, what am I doing that's good for my akhirah, good for my dunya.
0: Good for my kids, good for
1: everything. Yeah,
0: exactly. And I've talked about donor advised funds, which is where you open up an account. Like it's almost like a charity account, but you can contribute money to it on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and invest it and that money grows and it could continue growing, you know, until their stock market, until this dunya exists. And giving out certain percent on your behalf, even after you're gone. Oh, that's beautiful. So it's like Siddiqua Jaria that just continues. And you don't have to designate your kids or somebody else to do it. Like it just automatically just goes on forever. See, that's amazing. And that's one way
1: to even like keep our mosques sustainable. Because, you know, I'm from Palestine. We have something called Waqf. And I think every Muslim country has that where there's funding that comes to our Masajid and our any Islamic centers that's like government kind of based. Whereas here, who's going to fund our mosque? Who's going to fund anything? So yeah. when you talk about something like that, right. I feel like every masjid needs you to come in and like yeah. give a lecture. Like this is what you can do. And the masjid keeps getting money and it right. keeps staying open.
0: Exactly. And yeah, you, you can, can pick any nonprofit organization and the money will just, they, yeah. they mail a check to that organization each year so we need more
1: awareness of that for sure
0: so talking about islamic inheritance laws how the asset protection so you have a choice i guess living in the u.s so you can decide Mm -hmm. to go with the traditional law or you can pick it islamic so it's not forced like you don't have to pick 100
1: okay in in the united states it's up to you you can choose whether you want to go with islamic
0: laws or
1: you want to go with
0: you know, or even if you want personal will. yeah or even if you pick islamic law you can decide what percentages you want to you can save. but that's hard to to do because islamic
1: law is based on who's alive at the moment that mm. you die so if you say i want to give 10 percent to my dad and your dad passed away before you kind of messes everything up and it gets confusing for the for the lawyer to execute for the state to execute so the way it works is you either choose i would say islamic laws is to apply Or you don't and one way if you if you want to do it from a religious perspective, where you want to do Islamic laws, but you're not sure about certain things in your family, maybe you have a child that needs special needs, so they need extra care extra funds, what you can do is you can put that in a trust, so that does not violate your Islamic laws at all, because when you do a trust you're designating money to this child, for example. And that money is while you're alive, you can do whatever you want with your wealth. You can actually give all of your wealth to your favorite kid right yeah. now. You know what I mean? So through a trust where it's like, you know, my kid can't access this until they are 30 years old. Right. So it won't even go through your will. It won't even go through probate. It won't even go through anything. And it won't count as a loophole to escape Islamic inheritance. laws. When yeah. you're alive, you can do whatever you want. Yeah, It's up to you. It's just a matter of from an Islamic perspective, again, not a legal perspective, but from a religious perspective, if you want to follow you know, the way the Quran says it, it only is binding on you when your soul leaves your body. While you're alive, you can do whatever you want. And the the benefit of living in the United States is there's trust, there's donor funds, like you said. There's all these like different financial products that you can put your money in
0: and do whatever you want with it.
1: So you can kind of have the best of both worlds.
0: Yeah, Yeah. talking about kids. So when the kids are minor. Yes,
1: that's super important. And it's one of the things that really stresses me out when I see Muslim families that don't have wills. So a lot of Muslim families in America, I mean, some of us have our relatives around us, but some of us don't. Maybe we're the only people that immigrated here and we literally have no family, we just have friends. So even both situations, the reason you need to have a will and you need to name guardians for your kids is God forbid, and this only kicks in if both parents passed away. One parent is alive, obviously the the other parent takes them. But like, if both parents are not in the picture, You need to decide who takes your kids, because if you don't, the state will step in. Sometimes in extreme situations, they will take your kids, put them through a foster system until they can figure out who's the best fit to take them on. So even if you're volunteering to take them, they're not going to technically automatically give them to you because they're worried. What if you're a bad person, what if you're an abuser, like they don't know you. So if you're not named in the will as the proper legal guardian they might take your kids and try to figure this out. Hmm. Another problem that might happen is let's say they don't do that. Let's say one of the grandparents takes the kids. Now the other set of grandparents maybe is like, no, I want the kids. I want to raise these kids. And now the grandparents get in a fight or the uncles or the aunts, whatever, like the siblings of each parent, whoever it is, they might argue over like, no, I'm the better fit for these kids. And I'm the better fit for these kids. And their intentions are good. They love the kids. They just want to care for them. But what happens is each person thinks they're the best fit and then nobody's agreeing. So they're going to sue each other. And that's going to cost money and lawyers and stress, not only the people in the lawsuit, but stress the kids out because they don't have stability. They know that my aunt is fighting with my uncle or my grandma is fighting with my other grandma. It's not, it's already, they're going through enough of a trauma, losing both parents. So what you need to do is you designate, you sit down, you agree who you want to be, The first option for your kids to have a guardian and a second option. This way, let's say you chose your mom. Your spouse's mom can't come in and be like, no, I'm the one who's going to take them. Well, it's legal document. It's already here. I'm sorry, ma'am. She's the one with the legal powers. So when you do that, now your mom can be mad at you, but you're gone. So (laughs) she won't be able to play with the other grandma. So it actually solves a lot of problems. It solves a lot of legal problems, money problems, even emotional problems because they can't get mad. At right. The person that was named in the will, they were named. What are they supposed to do about it? Yeah, and they could at least foster a collaborative relationship. Maybe the kids visit you once a week, maybe you know, things like that. It becomes a more open conversation versus mm-hmm. we both have rights and we're both going to fight for them. Yeah, it clears the air for everybody.
0: Yeah, and, and I know some people ask, you know, why do I even need a will? I don't have a lot of money, and mm-hmm. this, this shows, yes. how even if you, if you have kids, you, know, you, you need a will, you need some, sort even of if you have zero document. money,
1: if you have a kid under 18. Yeah just get a will done, just for that term, like, you know, just at least put that in there, so that if, God forbid, something happens, it's already solved, it's already clear, because we hear stories about other people, like, remember the kid in Canada, they died at the light right before their house, he lost both his parents, he lost his siblings, in one day, and God forbid, I hope that never happens to anybody, but none of us plan for that, none of us are like, oh, that's, you know, it happens, it just happens randomly, so, We don't want any of that to happen. And I do want to stress for any parent that's already a single parent. If you are a widower, yeah. you have to have a will. You are yeah. the last person standing. There is not a lot of options. You need to name the people who are in charge of your kids and it will take care of them. If God forbid something happens okay. to well, you while they're still young. Yeah. Another thing I want to say is if all of your family is abroad and you don't have any family here, you can name a temporary guardian of somebody you trust. Maybe it's your best friend. Maybe it's you know, somebody from the mosque that you really trust, whoever it is that you feel, and you can tell that person, listen, I'm gonna name you a guardian, are you okay with it? They say yes. Then you tell them, here are my instructions. If anything happens to me, this is my family's number, this is their how you contact them, call them in my you know, original country, coordinate, and figure out maybe sending the kids there or whatever. But once that person has legal guardianship of them, they can take the kids and send them to your parents abroad or to your sister abroad or to whoever. But if there's no guardian for the kids, and your whole family's in another country and they don't have citizenship, they can't come here, your kids will go through the system yeah. and they will be unreachable until they're post-18 if they know their grandpa's number. Yeah. They know their grandma's number where yeah. they're on. So it's really, really like nobody wants to think yeah. about these things because they're stressful, but all it takes is a piece of paper with some proper yeah. legal binding signatures and stamps and all that jazz, and you can sleep and you can relax and yeah. you don't have to worry about it anymore. Yeah
0: said so the two things that are certain are taxes and that's 100% we're all gonna experience that so we can't deny it they can't live in fear of you know not thinking about it so since we're talking about kids let's talk about inheritance for kids so as you said if a spouse dies usually if you don't have anything it goes to the other spouse so how can one protect the money not only for the kids but also from the kids if you have minor mm-hmm. kids so you don't want them in, to inherit a bunch of money, even when they turn 18, because yes. they're not going to be, you know, smart, frontal lobe is not as developed. Exactly. So you don't want them to inherit all that money. Yes. So, so are there ways to protect money for your kids and from your kids?
1: Absolutely. So you can create a trust and in the trust, you can put the money. I mean, you, I think we all hear the phrase trust fund babies or, you know, it's not just for multi billionaires You can do it for whatever budget you have. So you can leave a trust and you can designate that the trust is only accessible to your kid at whatever ages that you want. And you can even designate that they don't get the full amount. So you can say at 22, they get this much. And at 27, they get this much. And at 30, they get this much. You can even say that the money can only go for college expenses until they're 22. And then afterwards they can get the rest. So there's a lot of ways where you can give them the money without letting them blow it on whatever kids are buying using sneakers I don't know or or bags so just you can make sure what ages you want them to get and even what they're accessing it for and you can usually people put a guardian on the trust whether it's a family member that they trust obviously because you have to pick someone you really trust because that person was the guardian of your child's trust they can do a lot they have a lot of a lot of power so to protect your kid pick somebody that you trust and you know won't blow the money on random things i mean there's always ways to like sue them and blah blah blah, blah. i mean once somebody's gone right it's kind it's of a, but like make sure it's somebody you trust and if anything you can even hire a lawyer right to be in charge of the trust but obviously they're going to get money yeah for their managing of it
0: not only lawyers i've heard some of the big institutions the financial institutions mm-hmm. do it as well so like yeah. banks like oh, you yeah. can go to chase bank and they may offer the services where they'll hold the money and they'll be able to allocate Exactly. money to your kid when you're not there so, exactly like, yeah so ins- find out yeah. which
1: you know which yeah. system
0: works for you so they may have obviously fees involved but it may be mm-hmm. worth it if you don't have anybody else that exactly. you trust exactly, yeah. exactly. Yeah. amazing points we discussed what would you like to talk about next
1: i do want to make a note for our converts that are in our community so if you are a convert if you know any converts i would love for you to share this information with them converts what happens is two things. So the most important one is the burial. So if you are the only Muslim in your family and everybody around you is non-Muslim, the, your family members are the only ones with legal rights to decide how you get buried. So whether it's your parents who are non-Muslim or maybe you only have siblings who are still alive or non-Muslim. Whoever it is, like your friend who's Muslim or your imam who you trust who's Muslim, they don't have legal rights over what to do with you. So it happens a lot of times if, if if the if our Muslim convert doesn't leave a will, their non-Muslim family does their burial in the reg- religion or the tradition that they come from. Mm. Not because of like anything malicious, but because they don't know anything else. If if they believe if they belong to a certain religion or tradition, they don't know what, what you wanted to okay. do when you converted. So they'll just go through their system. And that's really not good because you want to have a proper Muslim burial, you want to have a proper Muslim washing of your body. You want to have the prayer that's done on you for the janazah. So you really, really need to have a will to designate how you get buried. You can even put what cemetery you want. That's a Muslim cemetery. You can even put what mosque you want to be sent to so that they can do the the rituals for you. So you really, really need to designate that. I've heard so many stories of people who unfortunately were even cremated or they were Mm -hmm. even buried, you know, in the improper way. And I even know a story of a man who is Muslim, but his wife is not muslim which is allowed. She's Christian. But he never told her how he wants to be married or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So when he died and he has no family in the United States, all of his family is abroad. So when he died, his Christian wife just married him through her church. And he was born Muslim and everything. So this problem is not exclusive to converts. It also can happen to a Muslim who's married to a non-Muslim that might not understand why this is so important to you. So that's a really important point. Another important point for our converts is if you want to follow Islamic inheritance laws, if you want to follow them, technically, remember when we talked about the overall picture, the two-thirds follow those fractions in Surah al-Nisa, the one-third, you do whatever you want. Technically, your non-Muslim family members won't count in your two-thirds. So if your mom is not Muslim, or your dad, or your siblings, Mm -hmm. they won't be able to to inherit through all those fractions that we read about. But you can, that one-third that's left over, you can give it to whoever you want, however much you want. It doesn't matter if they're Muslim or not. That one third is all you. So then you have the other two thirds that maybe you can flip sort of mm-hmm. your idea. You can do the two thirds for maybe the charity component that you wanted to do or for that person that you wanted to give. So for the convert who wants to follow us, never getting ready, unless You can look at it as like sort of backwards. Mm-hmm. And you can also, like we said, do trusts. You can give away during your life, whatever you want. So those options are also available. So those are really important points that I wanted to talk about. Another Islamic point is hajj. A lot of us, inshallah, we get the opportunity to go to hajj one day. People sometimes forget that hajj is a rehearsal for the day of judgment. You're wearing, at least for men, wearing the white kind of thing that's supposed to remind you of being buried. You're doing all these rituals. You're coming back to to the house of God. It's supposed to sort of put like your akhirah glasses on. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to think of the day of judgment. So before you go to hajj, traditionally, you're supposed to pay off all of your debts. Because God forbid something happens to you in Hajj, at least you're clear. You're supposed to seek forgiveness from anybody you've hurt um, or forgive anybody that's hurt you. And the third thing is you have to make your will before you leave. Because the idea of Hajj mm-hmm. is like, I'm going to, your mindset is supposed to be an Akhira mindset. Mm-hmm. So that you're supposed to put yourself in the idea of, I'm kind of leaving this world and I'm going to the next life. And the mindset, at least, mm-hmm. it's like a rehearsal. So you have to have your will done before you go to Hajj. And I think it's a good like sort of deadline and reminder for yeah. Muslims to get all this stuff done. Like I had no prepping. idea
0: that was a requirement. Yeah.
1: So you have to get your will done before you go to Hajj because yeah. it's a, considered a huge journey. It's considered from an emotional perspective, it's big. And also from like for us who live far away, you're traveling, you're going, going through all these motions. So you have to make sure you get
0: all of that cleared out. Wow. So those are really yeah. Yeah. things I really want people yeah. to make sure they keep in mind. Yeah and you got to pay off all your student loan debts too
1: <laughs> oh yes hopefully hopefully
0: i know it's, it's rough a lot here. yes it's
1: rough in the United States oh my god yes to get through all of these things but also you know when you think about the continuous charity that we all love giving somebody a scholarship is a continuous charity every you know they graduate from medical school like you every time they treat somebody every time they help somebody that goes into your achira bank you're like collecting so it's when you think about continuous charities you know obviously a lot of us put money into mosques or things like that. But there's so much yeah. other ways like
0: that donor fund that you're talking yes. about. Sponsoring orphans. Yes. Um, you could do it for pennies these days. Um, Literally. So many organizations are part of that where you sponsor an orphan from other countries in Africa and Asia and you can really provide for somebody. And when that kid grows up and every good they do, yes. it, it comes to you. Comes back to you 100%. So I, I think that's in my opinion like that's one of the best things and and orphans are talked so much yes about in islam and in quran and hadith and everywhere so yeah that's also I mean, part
1: of islamic inheritance laws. there's an ayah where it says when people come to sort of divide up everything and go through the motions if there's any atama in your family any orphans like you said or any miskeen which means like somebody who's miskin doesn't just mean poor it means somebody who's stuck in their situation so maybe they have an injury and they can't work ever again or maybe they're just going through a lot of just negative things at the same time. They can't seem to get pull themselves out of this situation. Yeah. When those people show up to like the dividing of the assets, give them, you know, leave them some wealth, leave them something to help them
0: out. So they're definitely even part of this whole system too. Yeah. Thank you. Oh my God. I learned so much from you. And before I end, the other interesting fact that I learned from you regarding the gown and the graduation oh. hat, I want you to share it with everybody. <laughs> okay. So this is like, a little random, but I mean, we were talking
1: before the podcast, and I was telling—we were talking about education and all of these things—and we were saying how I was telling how graduation gowns are actually inspired by Muslims, and we a lot of us know that the first university in the world was made by a Muslim woman, but also that the the actual dress that people wear during their graduation, the long sleeve long gown, that's was designed by Muslims, and the reason the cap is a square is because during their graduations they put the mushaf the quran on their heads and when they're walking and the idea was yes you're graduating from university and you gained all this knowledge but you have no knowledge above allah's word and above the quran hmm. so that's why we all walk around with these square graduation caps all the way in the united states it comes from our tradition it comes from our legacy and that's why I'm when what what i, I want to leave people with is please do not look at getting your wills done or anything like that as something morbid as something depressing as something you want to shove under the table think of it as your legacy plan have a vision for your life think about it like we talked about the four components the wealth planning learn how to grow your wealth and how you want to obviously in a high way how you want to grow it learn about estate planning what will do you need how do you protect your kids how do you protect your assets how do you want to divide up your stuff Learn about your akhirah planning, which ties into your estate plan. What charity do you want to leave that is beyond your life? What good do you want to give into the world? A podcast, a book, helping, you know, an orphan, anything. That's all continuous that will build in in the afterlife for you, inshallah. And think of your loved ones. Think how can me leaving not be as traumatic as it's going to be? I'm sure everybody's going to love you and miss you and lose it. But there's a way to sort of do it in a way that won't be as bad. And because of technology, I mean, like you said, your kids can listen to your podcast anytime they miss your voice. And that's such a beautiful thing. And because of technology, you can really do that for your kids. So I do recommend doing that. Also, if even if you have babies, you can make them an email address and you can email them. One way, like one good thing is you save their email so they don't have to write one, two, three, four, five at the end of their name. You actually get it as soon as they're born. But you can send them messages whenever they do something cute. You could just tell them, oh, you did this today and I loved it. Mm -hmm. And they can read it when they're older and it's a way to connect as well.
0: Yeah, and another thing I do is, uh, I don't like putting my kids on social media, but there are ways of uh, sharing their pictures and events and privately, so you, only you see it. Mm-hmm. But then I'm gonna leave my Facebook account email and password with them so they'll be able to log in and see you know what i posted about them oh that's beautiful yeah, yeah it's like a whole of, photo album right yes, yeah that's
1: also beautiful. Um, cool.
0: and another thing it just just made me think of is one of the Menk's statement he says we all want paradise you know we all talk about paradise and how beautiful it is and how amazing it's gonna be but we all have to die to get to paradise yes so, that's beautiful yeah sorry to remember that but it's a passage it's let's a,
1: think of it as a passage together yeah. and plan yeah. it together plan it with your spouse plan it with yeah. your friends plan it with your kids what do they want yeah. maybe they saw something like one of your daughters loves a specific pair of earrings like yeah. make it an emotional connection make it something that's loving because like you said t- death and taxes we can't avoid them. <laughs> but we can inshallah get the jannah through yeah. this
0: process yeah. so inshallah. just be
1: positive and live your life the best way that you can
0: Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank loved, you for having me. I loved this whole day. <laughs>
1: Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. Thank